we began a few weeks ago talking about the rhythms and habits of Jesus that can shape us as his followers. Jesus, Jesus invites us to come to him, to come to him, all of us who are weary and tired and all of us who are exhausted and anxious and struggling and to find rest in him. In fact, he said it just that way, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Sounds so inviting like this. I don't know about you, but I'm weary. The burdens of this season and this virus and the weight of our needs and our community and the, the global challenge is just heavy. There's so much uncertainty and questions that remain unanswered. We're all looking for distractions and activities and just some sense of security in the craziness. We want to feel like everything is okay. Truth is, everything is not okay, but it will be. In the middle of the uncertainty, in the middle of the craziness, in the middle of this time of not okay, we've also been given a gift, this opportunity to slow down, this opportunity to experience the presence of God and become reacquainted with our own souls, to become reacquainted with the people who live in the same house with us, to become reacquainted with God. He has been inviting us back to him. It's only been a couple of weeks, but if I'm honest, I'm struggling to let my mind and my heart and even my body slow down. I, I feel better when I'm doing something, you know, at least something small, just something productive. So I, so I have this tendency to just keep going, keep doing, keep finding something else to work on. It's not good for me. It's probably not good for anyone else that's dealing with it that way too. You know, it seems that when I feel forced to be productive or when I feel compelled or when I keep moving at this kind of unfettered pace that I'm going against the grain of creation, it's nothing like the rest that Jesus seems to offer. There's hurry in me. It's it's in my soul. It's not some external force that comes from an overbooked schedule. It's an inner compulsion to keep moving, to keep doing, and keep making things happen, even when I can't. When I neglect the way of Jesus, when I don't do life the way that he did life, when I don't follow his example, his model, I miss out on the life that he offers I miss out on the peace that he offers, the joy that he offers. So instead of being driven by love or hope, I tend to be motivated by feelings of inadequacy, feelings of fear and, and guilt. And maybe you can relate to those emotions. Maybe you've felt some of the same things I've felt, those shame-inducing feelings that that tell us we're not enough I feel like I have to keep asking am I doing enough as a Christian 
Am I a good enough husband during this time? Am I, am I being a good enough father to my, to my children during this time? Am I taking care of, of our people as Hydra Church well enough? Am I a good pastor in this? And this feelings of inadequacy have a, have a way of driving me to do more and more. And they produce this fear of uncertainty, of not knowing what's going on and not knowing what's going to happen and not knowing what to do about it. And the truth is, I just feel more guilt. I feel guilt over not being enough. And these feelings, they, they fuel the hurry in me. They fuel the need to do more, to rush around. But Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never rushed. These, these feelings that fuel hurry in me, he didn't know. There was no hurry in his soul. I think it's because hurry isn't just of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Hurry is stealing and killing and destroying everything that matters to me. It's, it's stealing and killing and destroying my body and my mind and my heart and my relationships. And if I let it, it will rob me of everything valuable in my life. The good news that Jesus brings is that Life with peace and joy and hope and love is available to us right now in him. If I'll embrace both his way and his truth, then he'll give me his life. When I can enter into and embrace his unhurried way of life, his focused way of life, that I could discover the truth that will set me free and give me the life of Jesus. So far, we've talked about a few of the habits of Jesus. We talked about how he had this habit of going away to a quiet place. Silence and solitude were his friends. He would go into the wilderness and, and connect with his father as the source of strength. He would he would find there the anchor for his identity, and he would find there a focus for his purpose. He knew who he was, and he knew how to live that out. He knew the strength of God because of those times of silence and solitude with the Father. Last week, Dustin talked to us about Sabbath, about learning the rhythms of work and stop that can shape our lives. In fact, every bit of research confirms the limitations of our humanity. When we try to ignore those limitations, when we try to push past those limitations and work beyond them and operate beyond them, it always brings destruction and weakness and pain and loss into our lives. But Jesus had this rhythm of stopping for 24 hours every week. This rhythm of embracing relationships and his time with God and the people around him as a way of embracing his humanity. He discovered some rhythms of rest. It's kind of wild. In some of the life groups that we've had this week, I've heard people begin to talk about it. One person said that I can tell myself to slow down every day and nothing happens. I can hear God tell me to slow down all the time and I still don't do it. But it's like he's forcing me to slow down with all that's going on in the world right now 
and I'm discovering how much I needed it. Somebody else said it's, it's like getting a taste of rest right now. They've gotten a little more sleep. They've operated at a little slower pace, and they feel better. Their, their life is, is healthier. Their relationships are healthier, and they just got a taste of the rest that Jesus modeled for us. Now, if you're like me, you probably heard this invitation to silence and solitude and the invitation to Sabbath, like more that I have to do. I mean, really, I feel like, man, this is just more work in my faith. This is just more that I'm going to fail at, more that I'm going to feel guilty about. It's just going to be more struggle. But the reality is, these habits aren't about more. They're about saying no to the things that don't really matter so that we can say yes to Jesus. Yes to our Father in heaven. It's about learning to say yes to what's most important and say no to other things. Today we're going to wrap up this series of messages with an invitation to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to learn another one of his habits. Jesus had a habit of simplicity, of embracing contentment and enough. Now the truth is, he had all the money that he needed. A lot of times we talk about Jesus as a man who is homeless, or a, or a man who is a rabbi who didn't have very much, but he and his disciples had enough resources that one of them was designated a treasurer. So there was at least enough money that needed to be managed and Truly, that didn't turn out very well, but, but there was some resources there. Jesus had wealthy sponsors that provided lodging and food for him as he traveled around teaching. But he always seemed to embrace a contentment, a simple way of life, enjoying what was given to him, but not feeling the need for more and more and more stuff. Jesus, he talked a lot about money and stuff. In fact, about 25% of all of the teachings of Jesus are about money and stuff. Unfortunately, most of it wasn't very good. And if we were to really dig into it, most of us would, would not like the things that Jesus said and maybe just flat out disagree with him at times. He realized that Money and the desire for more and more stuff and wealth, it, it hurries our lives. And it, it robs us of what we really want in life. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. This, this message is just the complete opposite of everything we hear in our world. Everything around us tells us that we need more possessions. That we need more stuff. That money is so important that we need to do whatever we have to do to get more and more and more. We see these people sacrificing all the time for a little more stuff. Commercials 
just lie to us over and over again. They tell us that life does come in the accumulation or the abundance of possessions. It's funny, isn't it? That pizza commercial. If you order this pizza, you'll be happy. If it's not pizza, it's a new car. This car will bring you more joy and excitement than you've ever had. Or these clothes will make you look sexy. Buy this exercise equipment and you'll get in shape. Or hang your clean clothes all over it. The truth is, the message is always around us. More is better. More brings life. The message is constantly there. Life, fulfillment, joy comes from the abundance of possessions. And then there's Jesus. Watch out. Be on guard against greed or the need for more. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You see, everything we buy comes at a price. There's a cost. Not just a monetary cost. A cost to our lives and our souls and our time. Sometimes we don't think about it. For example, I used to love to ride a motorcycle. It was before we had kids and Anita and I would hop on that bike after work and ride around. And it was, it was almost like an hour of therapy after the day. But I didn't even count the cost then. Think about it. If I were to buy a motorcycle today, I would need not just that payment, but I would need to work enough hours to make the payment and pay for the insurance and the gas and the gear. And then I would need to commit the time to keep it clean and maintained. I'd need the time to fix it when it breaks. And then I would need enough time to ride it and enjoy it in any kind of meaningful way. And in doing so, there is this massive cost that sometimes we don't think about with a purchase. You see, it's not just the price you pay, but there is this time that you are committing to this stuff. And it ends up stealing more time than we ever realized and then rushing us and bringing hurry in our lives. In fact, the more stuff we have, the more hurry and cluttered our soul feels now buying a motorcycle or or anything else isn't necessarily bad what's bad is it is we don't calculate the cost before we make the purchase the real problem isn't stuff it's not the stuff we have or the stuff we want the real problem is that we don't place any limits on the amount of stuff we have We have so much stuff that we have to buy boxes and build or rent places to store the stuff we have that we don't even use. In fact, the storage unit industry made $38 billion in 2018 in the United States. Do you realize that? We spent $38 billion as a country to store extra stuff that we didn't have anywhere to put. We have so much stuff that we don't have a way to even store that stuff, much less use it. 
And the other part of that problem is that we link, we link our happiness to stuff. That we need that new phone, that new computer, that new truck, that new TV, that new dress, that new pair of shoes. Whatever it is that somehow this stuff makes us happy. That this stuff brings joy or that we'll be content once we have just a little bit more. In Mark chapter 4 verse 19, we hear Jesus describe what happens to us when these, these desires and this lack of limits get a hold of us. He says, the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth. And the desire for other things come in and choke out God's word, making it unfruitful. So this is a part of a parable you find there in Mark chapter 4. Sometimes it's called the parable of the soil. Sometimes the parable of the sower. It's about a man who goes and he spreads seed. And it lands on different kinds of soil. Some of it lands on the path. And some of it lands on the rocks. And some of it lands... In the, the thorns and some of it lands on good soil. And then Jesus explains the parable. And he says that the seed is like the word of God planted in our lives. And that there are those who receive the word of God. And it produces a harvest of fruitfulness of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It produces this fruit in their lives a hundredfold what was sown into them. Then there are those who, who are like the path and, and the word never takes root. It's taken and it's gone before they ever get a chance to think about it. It's just kind of those folks who, who, the, who the word of God just goes in one ear and out the other. Then there's the, the rocky soil. And this is soil that's kind of shallow and then has this rock bed underneath. And, and things start to grow and seem to grow quickly. But it doesn't take long until the roots hit that rock and, it, and then it's gone. This is the, the folks who get excited about Jesus, excited about church, but it just doesn't last very long. And then, then there's that thorny soil. This is when the seed, the word of God, begins to take root and it begins to grow and begins to, to do something in someone's life. But wealth, stuff, work, other things just start to fill up their lives and push God out. It just chokes out the word of God in them. Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. It's strange, this is not a command. It's not even an instruction. It's more of a, an observation about how the world works. A, a natural law, if you would. You see, God and money are mutually exclusive masters. They can't coexist at the top of our lives. We will either pursue a life filled with the abundance of stuff the abundance of possessions in search of happiness, or we'll pursue God and his kingdom and the things that bring about joy and, and right relationships and, and good peace in our lives. It's crazy how quickly and how deceptively money 
gets control of our lives. 